Well, good morning to you. I am Joel Wayne, one of the pastors, and excited to be able to open up scripture with you today. Uh, first things first, we're starting a new series called what? Outpost. Outpost is, I'm just, it's on my shirt. Okay. Um, Outpost right there. Um, if you did not get one of these here, uh, please, if you would just raise a hand, it's for kids, it's for everybody. This is another one of our, what we would call a church-wide series. Small groups are jumping into it. Some of the uh, information is going to our children as well for the kids, uh, student ministry, all of that. Um, because we believe that we're all, could, all called to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. So if you would, raise, I have some people, or uh, we'll find some people because I don't see any right now. Let's grab some people um, in the back, raise a hand, and they will bring one of these to you if you need it. So that'll be really, really important, okay? Um, so, uh, anybody? Anybody need one? Raise them up if you would. They're called Outpost. There it is. So we'll get some more down here on the floor as well. I want to introduce you to a friend of mine. This is Pastor Andy Woodall. Uh, he has recently just joined us. When I say recently, I believe that Tuesday was his first day. It was. So um, Pastor Andy Woodall, he is marriage and counseling pastor here at Chapel Point. And we know, firmly believe that our marriages is not the only, but one of the primary ways that we can be a reflection of the love of God. And the way that we need to be in relationship with each other and the intentionality that we have, our eagerness to forgive and to show grace and mercy to each other. And so he's coming to help equip and to impact this church with the marriages, but also through counseling um, to not only do it himself, but to really equip you to do it. So how would you, how would you describe your job to them? I would describe it as it's my privilege to be here at Chapel Point, to equip and multiply leaders, to help individuals in the area of soul care. And particularly in the area of preparing for marriage, strengthening marriage, and then reconciling or restoring marriages. Yeah. yeah. And that's a key thing because God really does want to use your marriage for some amazing things. And so know that we, we put a lot of our resources into the discipleship area of Chapel Point more than any other area, actually, into small groups, into uh, marriage and counseling, into all these different areas and how we care for one another. Um, that is just really, really important to us um, because you're gonna hear today about something called simple depth. The gospel is simple, but it's, there's also a depth to it and we're not willing to walk away from the depth of caring for each other and holding people to biblical standards and expectations because we know that's best for them. So. Um, I'd like you to do me a favor, and I just want you to pray for the marriages and also okay. those who may be married one day, those in a hurting marriage, and I'm just going to let you pray for them, okay. and then I'm going to jump into some scripture, man. Great. Let's do it. Awesome. God, thank you for the gift and the covenant of marriage. Thank you also for the gift of singleness, and realize that there's plenty of people that are, that are here, and they, they're sitting here thinking about relationship. They may be considering entering into a marriage. <laughs> They may be well on their way to entering into a marriage. Um, there's also people here that are possibly just coasting in marriage. It's something that they're just in and um, existing in. And Lord, you desire for us to thrive in marriage. For those that are married, you desire for us to honor you with our marriage, that we would be a lighthouse to others. Uh, and I realize there's, there's probably some that are sitting here or watching online that are also in their hearts or even outwardly contemplating is there any hope for my marriage? And so for each person in each position, 
Lord, we know that you are the great physician. We know that you are the one who restores. You are the great and wonderful counselor. Lord, we thank you for the power of Jesus Christ and his, through him, the ability to strengthen and restore marriages. And Lord, we need your guidance. We desperately need your guidance. And I realize there's probably some that are also sitting here or listening that they've, they've gone through a terrible separation or uh, divorce in, in dealing with their marriage. And Lord, there is healing. And Lord, we thank you that we can all come to you through Jesus Christ. We can be comforted through your spirit and guided according to your word. We thank you for Pastor Joel and his leadership. We thank you for the message that he's going to give this morning and pray that that would bring direction for and hope for each and every one of us. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank Thank you, you, brother. As a church, we are not only here to um, raise good people or to lift up uh, people who are quote unquote, according to the world, moral, we are here to multiply and to make transformed followers of Jesus. And yes, there is a difference between the two. So I want to show you, I want to give you an illustration of what it is uh, and who should be a multiplied trans or multiplying transformed followers of Jesus. If I could have everybody, please just stand up where you are. That'd be great. You're a good looking crew today. See, even that doesn't mean you weren't last week. I'm just simply saying you're a good-looking crew today. Every single one of us is to have really this type of shirt, this type of mentality as we walk through life, if you claim to know Jesus Christ. Did you know that God is wanting to use you to be an outpost of the kingdom of God, which is really to be a transformed follower everywhere you personally go? But not only should it be individual, it should be your home's that stand out from every other home. And then all of a sudden it's a trickle effect and it starts to impact all the homes around you. And before you know it, you're impacting the community and the neighborhood that you're in. Then you're impacting the entire zip code that you're in. Then you're impacting the county that you're in. Then you're impacting the state that you're in. That is the design for what it is to be an outpost of the kingdom of God. And the person that God is calling to be transformed in that way is currently standing up. It's every single one of us. What a joy it is to be used by God. Amen. You may be seated. The struggle, though, let's let's just face reality. Um, That one of the struggles that we have in life is that we know that a lot of those people who profess to be believers in Jesus, a lot of times they they are referred to as hypocrites. People of the church can be referred to as hypocrites. And we can sometimes struggle in saying, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ, but we don't live according to his word, according to his truth. And so we need to make sure that we understand what it is to be a multiplied uh, or to be a transformed follower of Jesus Christ, to truly know the gospel. So at its very core today, I'm going to present to you the gospel and what it actually means for us and the way in which we will then respond to it in our own life. Because the gospel is more than simply finding purpose in life. That's a, that's a part of it, hear me say. But the gospel is more than finding purpose in life. It's more than try, finding the true meaning of life. Um, people have referred to the gospel in a variety of different ways, different manners. But I'm going to make sure today that we walk out of this place understanding that while the gospel is simple, there is also, as I referred to already, a depth to the gospel. 
So uh, people often, as we make even hiring decisions, you just met one of those individuals here, Andy Woodall, as we make leadership decisions, as we are moving forward as a congregation, one of the things I'm always evaluating personally is how do we maintain simple depth? And you're going, okay, what does that really mean? Well, there's a simplicity that you want people to know know the gospel. You don't want to overcomplicate it because we know that it's about faith and faith alone, about, about confessing with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that you will be saved. That's all it takes. Amen? That's simple. But sometimes what we have leaned, t- leaned into in terms of the greater church and all churches, right, is that we have neglected to identify the depth, though, that then goes with that simple message. Um, we must not neglect the depth that goes with that, right? The gospel addresses the greatest issue that we have in life, which is we have this problem called sin, and so we need to even be able to address that a little bit as well. In fact, hey, I will tell you this. One of, the, one of the reasons that people struggle with really living out the gospel is I think in the church today and even individually, we've, we've got a couple of things that are dangers. So, you know, you have a green flag, you're good to go. If you have a yellow flag, you've got some, some problems that maybe you need to at least caution yourself about. And if you have red flags, you need to really have some hardcore evaluation in your life. Well, these are both yellow and red flags that I want to address very quickly before I jump into the gospel. Here are a couple of the dangers and some, some of the things that we are seeing right now. Knowing that the gospel is simple, yet it's not vague. Knowing that the gospel is simple, but it's also deep. We need to understand that we, we can't buy into the simplicity of the gospel without jumping into the depth of the gospel. And here are a couple of things that I think are those yellow flags for us as we talk about the gospel and what it means. One, um, lately it seems that we have, we've over-individualized the gospel. Now, hear what I'm going to say about this. We can over-individualize the gospel. The reason this is important is um, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for every individual. So what I'm not saying is that the gospel is about going, just simply going to church or this collective experience only. It can be that, but it is individual. The reason I'm saying this right now is that the church is central to true Christian faith. Maybe you know that person who goes, well, I don't really go to church. I believe in Jesus, but I don't need the church. You cannot deny the bride of Christ and claim to love the Father. The church is referred to as the bride of Christ. So you can't neglect the bride of Christ and then claim to love the Father. That's why here we push so much on depth and trying to get people not only into small groups but into study groups and really to start holding each other accountable. Too many people today, they don't want the community of believers because they don't want the accountability that may go with it. I spoke about that last week in terms of there's five primary areas of life and one's relationships and in relationships you sharpen and you encourage each other both. And we don't want that accountability. In fact, when some of us get that accountability, we push away from it. We say, no, 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 no. It's called conviction though. So we can over-individualize the gospel And we will fail to focus on the lordship of Christ when removing Christ from his church. An article that I read by Trevin Wax um, said that he says, we have produced individualists who see little need for the church and have little understanding of the mission of God 
beyond God's mission to save individual souls. Did God come to save individual souls? Yes. But did God also come to do something far greater through his church? Yes. And so we need to be careful not to over-individualize the gospel. Another warning that I would have for you, because knowing that the church, the church is central to God's purposes. The church is, the church is central to God's purposes. All right? Second warning I'm going to have before we jump into some of this with the gospel is this. Sin is not only of the world, it's personal. Now, even I, over the last uh, years, over the last several years, I've been uh, passing for better than a quarter of a century now. Um, and I look at that and I go, man, I talk about the sin of the world. I, I, I preach about the brokenness of the world. I preach about all of these different things. And sometimes what we now can have a tendency to do, I think, in the, in the church is we can overgeneralize and we can say, oh, the world is broken. The world is sinful. But guess what? So are you. You have a different relationship when you're casting giant stones at someone for saying, hey, we both have these to deal with. There's a different engagement that you have with someone when you're only telling someone about how sinful they are and how broken that is rather than also understanding that you yourself, we're broken, right? Romans 3.23 very clearly says, for we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We need the gospel because we're all broken, but we now have salvation if you profess who Jesus is. That's called the good news. So two things that I just want to make sure that maybe you can stir on is, one, sin is not only of the world. It is of the world, but it is also personal. We ourselves are sinners. As a result of that, we're in need of grace. And the more we recognize that, the more we enter into a healthier relationship with those around us that are also broken. Right? We can easily speak of the wrong of the world, but we too are broken. Romans 3.23, we've all sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. But we also know that Christ died for us. And so there's hope in the name of Jesus. Now, in order to speak about the gospel today and really making sure that we get on the same page with some things, I'm going to be tackling 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4. So can I invite you to turn with me? And I want to show you some other things first. But as you either scroll on your phone or open up the word of God to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I want to tell you a little bit of the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because it's incredibly important for us. Paul is writing this to us. This is, um, he, he made multiple missionary journeys. But here's Paul. He's writing to the church in Corinth. A map will show us exactly where that is. Let's have that come up real quick. Here it is. So right down here, you see Jerusalem, right? You're there with me. Here's Israel. So this is where Jesus hung out, spent all of his time. This right here is called the Dead Sea, right? And so here we are, the Jordan River feeds into it. But all of these different missionary journeys were happening. Right over here, you see Corinth. Now, this is important to know where it is because here, Paul, know this, Paul helped to establish the church in Corinth. He had, a, I truly believe, he had a great love for those people. I think he had a great heart for those people and he was burdened for those people. And there truly was, it was cosmopolitan in many ways. Let me tell you why. If you notice, it's actually a trade route between many different parts. Everything over here would have come through here. 
And you're going, why? well, they can just go around. Well, especially back then, for ships to go around, they're obviously going to be at far more danger when they're exposing themselves to the sea in that way versus coming through here that's going to be more protected. So you had a lot of Gentiles, you had a lot of Jews there, enough Jews, you'll go, well, were there Jews there? There were enough Jews there to have a synagogue there. So you had Gentiles there, you had Jews there, um, you had a lot of Orientals there because of the trading that would happen here in this place. And so it was an incredibly important area, and it was very cosmopolitan. It was a place, though, that was also, um, in, it was just unashamed when it comes to sexual immorality. So anything that's a port, right, is at sea level, but even about 1,800 feet up off of the ground, one of the things that we see is the Acrocorinth. The Acrocorinth was an area in which... The, they housed roughly a thousand prostitutes. Sexual immorality during this time period was so rampant, it was actually considered to be a value. It was, a, it was something, so that would impact even a church. If you live in a society that everybody is saying this, everybody is preaching this, everybody's living according to a certain way, that's going to infiltrate, that's going to impact even believers, right, in terms of what they accept to be right or wrong. That's what's happened in the church today. Maybe it's not sexual immorality, but it's some other issue. If you constantly hear one message and you're not truly holding fast to another, you'll end up surrendering to the other, even if it's not of Christ, Hello, world. So here's, here's Paul speaking to these people, knowing that there's very little condemnation, if any, towards sexual sin. It was reflected in the church in some ways. And, and what many once considered to be a virtue and of value, many Greeks learned was now a sin. And that's hard. They're going, whoa, our community previously has considered this sexual immorality that you're calling it of, of value. And now you're telling us that it's wrong. Hold up. That has a value and a place in our life. And yet they're not wanting to hear it. So we recognize what's been taking place. Idolatry was also a significant issue. So know all of this when we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He's wanting, after even letting them know that the church should be orderly, etc., he's wanting them to know, to be, he's wanting to remind them of the gospel. Now, I love this. So when we struggle today, when there's a tendency to say, hey, let me give you five ways to make sure according to the world that you blah, 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 blah. He doesn't do that. In order to correct, in order to align them, in order to remind them of what needs to be done, he doesn't come out with five worldly ways to make sure that your life does X, Y, Z. He says, hey, I need to remind you of the gospel. And maybe today we need to be reminded of the gospel. This is what he says. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hope that helps you have some context of what's happening and taking place. Here he is writing and he says these following words. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now those are just the first two verses. I want to stop there. I'm going to run through some of this because it's important for us to recognize everything that's happening here. He's reminding them of the gospel I preached. 
guys, what are you doing? You're forgetting. I need to remind you, remind you of, of the good news that you actually know. Maybe they heard it well beforehand, but right now they need to be reminded of the gospel. Some of you need to be reminded of the gospel. So here it is for you, that very gospel which I preached. So he's professing it. He was an outpost of the kingdom of God. But then it says, which you received. If you receive something, it means you don't merely hear it and walk away from it. If you receive something, that's implying that you have embraced it, that you've taken it in, that you've absorbed it for yourself. So if you receive it, it also means that you've accepted it. Question for you, have you actually received the gospel? Now, file that away. In fact, you can write it on your notes, just on to the side. Just say, have I fully received the gospel? You're going to come back and, and this is going to, the rest of the passage is going to help you answer it because it says, which you have received in which you stand. So you, that means if you've received it, you're now standing in the gospel. If you stand by the gospel, you don't stray from it. So right, you, you receive the gospel, you stand by the gospel. It means you don't stray from it, you don't alter it. Friends, you don't have the authority to change the word of God. You don't have the authority to change the word of God. And so if you are standing by the gospel, that means you're not altering it, you're trusting in it. It means if you recognize that you have received it and you stand in it, you know that you have been saved by it. And so you're receiving the gospel, you're standing in the gospel, you have been saved by the gospel. And so another thing here, it says, if you hold fast to the word, the word is the gospel, the word is Christ. So if you hold fast to the word, if you hold fast to the gospel, that what? I preach to you. So you've received the gospel, you stand by the gospel. Are you standing by the gospel? Have you been saved by the gospel? And let me ask you, are you holding fast to the gospel? I want to speak to you about what he's really conveying here and the significance of that because holding, that means you're holding to the biblical definition of the gospel. It means that you're not, it's similar to making sure that you're standing with the gospel. It's making sure that you abide by the gospel, that you live in the gospel, that you abide with Christ fully. Uh, another way of thinking about it is, have you compromised the gospel in any part of your life whatsoever? Now, I, I understand that some of you may not be believers. I understand even watching online or in another venue that some may not be believers. But I also know that the majority of you would at least claim to be a believer. Otherwise, you're not getting up on a day in which it feels like minus 20 and coming to church. And so as I recognize that also, I understand that while Many of you claim to be a Christian. What I'm asking, though, is have you compromised the gospel in your life? And you can compromise that in your marriage. You can say, hey, this is, 
Because marriage is one of the greatest reflections. It should be one of the greatest reflections of what it is to have a relationship with God. And so are you praying in that marriage? Are you jumping into scripture? Well, that means you're compromising if you're not in many ways. Maybe you're compromising not only in your marriage, but you're compromising that in integrity and morality and ethics at work and some things that you're doing, right? And you're going, oh, it's no big deal. The, they don't need all their staplers and all their paper and all their pens. And so you supply your kids for school every year through, through your business's means. That's still unethical, right? You're starting to compromise the gospel. It starts in small ways and then it just grows and grows from there. That's what takes place. Maybe you're compromising the gospel and finances. Let, let, let me make sure that I'm being very clear on something. We need to stop compromising the word of God and then getting upset with God when we don't get what we want. I was like saying, I wish I was faster, but you never exercise in order to get faster. But you just expect to be faster. You expect for God to bless you. You expect God to work with you. You expect God to anoint you with favor and with his mercy and his peace in the midst of all the hard in the world. And yet you're not walking with God. Many of us are not holding fast to the gospel. Are you holding fast? That means you're unrelenting and your willingness to let go of it. You will not release the full gospel in your own life in any aspect whatsoever. Have you compromised the gospel? Are you loosening your hold on the gospel? Have you loosened the hold of the gospel in your own life? It's a great discussion to have with family or friends to say, hey, listen, will you hold me accountable? I want to be in relationship with you. I know one of the dangers of our faith is that we've We've removed the church and community from it, but I need accountability. I need to be sharpened and encouraged. So can you hold me accountable to some areas that I've, started, I've let go of the fullness of the gospel in my own life and I need to be held accountable to the truth of who he is. I don't want to release that because our goal as a church even isn't just to raise up good people. We want to raise up God-centered people, Christ-centered people and all that we do. Matthew 24, 12, it says, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow, grow cold, it tells us. The love of many will grow cold. And so listen, what that's letting us know, even in the gospel of Matthew, is if you've loosened your hold on the gospel, you're probably going to have the love of God grow cold in your own life. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised, right? Get, hey, guys, guess what? There's another way to think about it. If I don't spend any time with my wife and I never call her, never text her, I occupy myself with everything but her, right? And I, I don't even look at what she's doing in her life. Does anybody think that my relationship with her, the love that I have for her could possibly grow cold? Anybody raise your hand if you think that's possible. Anybody shocked that the same thing happens with, our, with God? Because we've loosened our hold on the gospel, and as a result of that, we know that the love that we have for God has grown cold. So have you received the gospel? Are you standing by the gospel? Have you been saved by the gospel? Are you holding fast to the gospel? Uh, very, the very last portion of, of verse 2, it says the following. It says, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. 
I'm about to step on some toes. Have you believed in vain? Meaning, if you're compromising the gospel, there is no gospel. It means it's empty in your life. We know that there is one line, not two, in which you're living in this great chasm of I'm okay or not okay. There's one line. Either you're believing in the fullness of the gospel or you're not. There is no partial gospel. There is a full gospel. His name is Jesus. So as a result of that, it says, unless some of you have believed in vain, it says, what that is really communicating, unless some of you said that you believe, but you don't really believe, you, maybe you've never fully believed, and so, but yet that was the right thing for you to say, and so you've claimed something that you actually don't believe, you've believed in vain, and so maybe some of you are believing in vain, because right now what I see is you're buying into the world, so you can't claim Christ and then not step into all that he has claimed to be, recognizing, understanding that, I need to ask you, have you believed in vain? Or have you believed truly in the fullness of the gospel of Jesus? The gospel is not a set of, of abstract truths to be announced. It is a way of life to be lived. So he's calling it out with knowing the the situation and in Corinth, he's like, guys, I need to remind you of the gospel that you accepted that, that you need to hold fast to unless you didn't actually believe. And then he says in verse three and four, he's just gonna call the gospel out crazy clear. He says, for I delivered to you, guys, you know, I already delivered to you of, as of first importance what I also received. What was first importance is what you're about to read, which was the gospel. So this was primary. The gospel is never secondary in your life. It is always primary in your life. It's primary in relationships. It's primary in your faith. It's primary in finances. It's primary in your habits or disciplines. It's primary in school or work. Those are your key areas of life. The gospel will always be primary. If you claim to know Christ, the gospel will be primary. And I know that some people may be going, dude, pastor needs to calm down. No, I do not. I will hold fast to the gospel. We don't need more believing in the gospel in vain because if you're truly holding fast to the gospel, you're living by the gospel. I truly believe based on scripture that if you look at people who are living by the gospel and you see the peace they have, the comfort they have, the decisions that they'll make based on the, comfort, uh, based on the word of God, that people will be drawn to that. The church would look different today if more would hold fast to the gospel rather than holding fast to their preferences so he says listen I delivered to you this was the first primary importance what I also received which was the gospel right that here's the here it comes that Christ died for our sins Five of the greatest, if you write down anything, write down that. Christ died for our sins. In its simplest form, that is the gospel. Now, it's deeper than that. Hear me say, 
There's more, but in its simplest form, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Christ died for our sins. What you could not do for yourself, God chose to do for you through his son, Jesus Christ. There will be a penalty for anything. Life has consequences. I know we don't like that very much sometimes, but all of life has consequences. Every part of life has consequences. Right? If you don't study very much and you flunk out of school, that's a consequence. You can get upset with God and say, I can't believe he didn't let me do better on this. What, did you study diligently or did you just try to cram the last day? Don't get upset with God for your lack of preparation. We don't want consequences for anything in a relationship. You ignore your spouse and then all of a sudden you don't know why your marriage is in turmoil. Really? Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. All the prophecies are, should start flooding our minds when it comes to this. One of the greatest prophecies out there that I'm, we have to look at, and I'm going to read it in a moment, not right now, but is Isaiah chapter 53. You can write that one down. At least the first 10 verses. If you would read through that this week, you'd see literally thousands of years before Christ, hundreds of years before Christ, all of these prophecies are coming to fruition. It's absolutely amazing. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures that he was buried. When he was buried, he took our sin with him. There must be a punishment, a judgment for the sin that we have in our life. So in those days, man, you want to talk about just horrific. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Died, Jesus Christ, Christ died for our sins. Five of the most powerful words that you would ever know. That's the benefit of the gospel is that you get to receive the gospel. You get to stand by the gospel. You're saved by the gospel. You hold fast to the gospel. These are amazing, life-altering words for us that Christ died for our sins. It means that the death of Jesus served as a propitiation for our sins. That's that word. Many people are like, propitiation? That means that Christ took for us what we could not do for self. God laid on his son the guilt and the wrath that we all deserve. I ask you to write on the side of your page, um, have you received the gospel? And if you've received the gospel, it means you're doing everything you can to hold fast to the truth of who Jesus Christ is and that you're never compromising his truth. Have you received the gospel? I, I just, I need you to sit in it. I think about just this church, this individual church. It's God's church, but the name that's on a sign says Chapel Point. We are a non-denominational church who is passionately in love with the word of God. We are conservative yet not legalistic. It's an easy way to think about our church if you've ever wondered.
and just in this church, at the number of people who are showing up here in multiple services and in multiple venues every Sunday and watching online, if just the numbers represented in our church, if we were all holding fast to the gospel of Jesus Christ, West Michigan looks different, friends. Isaiah chapter 53. I want to read this for you. Well, let me say this real quick. When you recognize your own brokenness, you will, greater, you will in a more greater way than ever before, you will celebrate Jesus Christ. The only ones not celebrating Jesus are the ones who think they have no need for redemption. And yet we know, here's some of the greatest news, right? We know that God can redeem anyone from, at, yeah. So this isn't a message to press your face down in the mud. This is a message to let you lift it up out of the mud, knowing that God loves you. Woo! I mean, you want me to do my happy dance? I will. As you listen to these words, I want you to just think of this. Have you received the gospel? Isaiah chapter 53, so good. I'm gonna start with verse three. It says, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, as he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before it shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And for his, and as 
for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, meaning they hung him in the middle of two criminals, but even that could not remove from him what he did to carry your own sin. Although he had done no violence, there was no deceit even once in his mouth, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And when his soul makes an offering for guilt, when his soul makes an offering for guilt, when his soul took your guilt, he made an offering of self, right? Those who recognize their own brokenness will do nothing but celebrate the wholeness of Jesus. He shall see his offspring he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall, shall prosper in his hand. Romans 10, verse 3 tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Have you called on the name of the Lord?